0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best
0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, now, up to bat, Brett Boone.
2: Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. And today on the program, I'm joined by a five-time All-Star and a member of the Angels Hall of Fame. He won 200 games in a 17-year career and was the one-time battery mate of my pops, Bob Boone. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Chuck Finley. Chuck, thanks for coming
3: on the program. Well, thanks for having me, Boney. How you been? I've been good. I've been good. i yeah, want to remember that that Go back ahead. in the day when your dad, I mean, your dad was the first catcher that ever caught me. And I was, I was like the wild thing. I mean, he was the only one that tame the Mustang. I mean, he, he taught me so much about pitching and, and just how to calm down, but I was a mess.
2: You know, it's funny. And, and it, and it is funny because we ended up playing years against each other. It's always funny to me when, you know, I grew up in this world, obviously dad played for so long that through my whole childhood, dad was in the big league. So it it was fun for me being a little kid running around that all of a sudden I'm facing these guys. And not only was it cool, but it was kind of strange too. I remember, uh, facing Finn and I'm going, well, I was, I was in high school when I, when I, uh, <laughs> you know, when I was running around Anaheim stadium, but then it becomes surreal when we're facing each other in the big leagues. Uh, I remember my first, my first game against, uh, when Brett Saberhagen was pitching cuz saves would take me out I'd go visit I'd go visit uh Kansas City when dad was playing with the Royals and saves would say hey kid if you ever make it he goes that first ab I'm going to give you nothing but four seam heaters down the middle and he st- <laughs> he stuck to it I ended up probably oh, did it changed his mind <laughs> he stuck to it he goes he goes I did my part he goes it's over now now it now game on and and uh no but cool cool stuff like that i want to ask you a question if you remember you probably don't remember this this is 1993 you're with the angels i'm with the uh mariners and i was the heir apparent to to harold reynolds he was the the mariner second baseman for years and years right. and it was the first year lou panella came over from the reds and lou and myself early on boy and ended up being one of my favorite guys on this earth but early on we butted heads and and we would fight and he always, t- you know, he was an old school guy. So, so if you're hitting second in the lineup and somebody leads off with a double, damn it, you get the runner over so right. Chuck Finley's pitching. I think we're at Tempe Diablo. It's my first at bat in spring training. My first time Lou's going to watch me in a big league game situation. And I think somebody ended up, somebody was on second base when I came up no outs and I can hear Lou behind me. And he says, uh, son, uh, now now get the runner over. And I think you, <laughs> you throw me a fastball. And you know how the 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 swings you see when guys trying to get them over. It's that over inside the ball and and I and I shoot it over the the Angels dugout or the the first base side dugout, first pitch heater. Now you're one of the few guys, and I'm gonna talk to you about this later, that had a left handed fork ball. So I'm still sitting in my mind thinking, all right, lose tell me to get the runner over, get him over. You hang a fork ball to me. I think it's a fastball. So I go with that. I'm going to hit this ground ball to second base, but I'm out front, but I stay back long enough and wham, (laughs) I hit a bullet. As hard as I can hit it. Gary Gaetti's playing third base, stabs it, doubles the guy off second base. Now, (laughs) as a young player, I'm sitting there thinking, I just hit the crap out of that ball. Hey, that's a good thing, right? A bullet. And I'm coming back to the dugout. and You know, I got the old guys, Jay Buners at the top step. Booney, you hit the shit out of that ball. You know, Pat's on the back and, and Lou comes up to me and he goes, son, he goes, you really hit the shit out of that ball, didn't you? I said, yeah, Lou, thanks. You know, I think he's going to congratulate me. He goes, now get your ass down the left field line. Get your sprints in. When I tell you to get the runner over, get him over. <laughs> I'm shell shocked. I'm in left field running sprints. And, and kind of like I'm in Lala. I I don't know what to do. Like I'm i I'm already in timeout, and I just got here. And me and Lou aren't friends, and he hates me already. And I remember the uh, the the fans over the fence saying, "Man, you must be a really good if you only need one at bat and you get out of here." And I'm just sitting <laughs> by myself. No, you don't understand. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble with the skipper. But that was Chuck. I've told that story so many times. Finally, I get you on. I wanted to to run that by
3: you. Um, you know what's funny about Lou is that when you'd see him sit over there in, in the Kingdom, he would sit over like he was in a Lazy Boy with his legs crossed, spread out, hands sitting on his hands, just tapping his heels on the bottom of the thing, looking at everybody chewing his gum. You go, that's got to be the coolest manager in the history of the game because I don't think anything would ever row him in person because maybe behind the scenes he got crazy, but... You know, when umpire didn't do anything right, I, I thought it was hilarious that time that Lou pulled his hamstring when he kicked his hat. <laughs> Chuck, I, I've got,
2: when it comes to Lou, it's like I could sit here all day and all night and tell you stories. And I only played with him for, see, one, two, three years. I've got more stories about Lou Pinnell than anyone in my life. And, and I was with the man for three years. Like I said, to this day, one of my f- ended up being one of my favorite people in my life. Uh, our, our, <laughs> you know, our relationship went from turbulent to, to kind of better to unbelievable. Uh, the second time
3: around for me in Seattle, but what, what, he's one of a kind. Yeah. No, I always loved Lou because he, he, same guy every day you saw him, you know, you didn't play right for him, you're not going to play. And, he wants you to have fun and give it all you got. That's the way he played. And I, I love playing against him. I had a chance when I was a free agent. I talked to Seattle and went up to Phoenix. And Lou was there with, I don't remember who the GM was at the time. But uh, Lou was a man of few words. You know, he he said what was on his mind. Do you want to play for me or you don't? And that's it. All right, we'll see you guys later. And I'm like, where is he going? He goes, oh, he's going to go play golf or something. I don't care. That like shows you really, you're not that really important to him. <laughs> he, and I could
2: imagine being a, being an opponent coming in on the, on the, uh, on the other team. It's like, what's Lou going to do tonight? It, it was, yeah. yeah, pretty awesome. Uh, you came up in 86. You mentioned the top, uh, Bob Boone was your first catcher and you said you were wild. You came up and you, and you got put in the bullpen you know it's fast forward to 1989 is where you kind of come in your own and and kind of establish yourself as a starter you make your first all-star game but tell me the process from 86 getting to the 88 you're you're a full-time starter with the with the uh with the angels but tell me the process and uh just from that 86 to 89 transition we all go through one uh you went through one as well
3: right yeah well I got I almost made the team, which is crazy. I only had like 30 minor league innings uh, pitched and I was as raw as they came. I mean, you put a saddle on me and I'm going to buck you off as much as I can. But Bob was, he was one of the uh, better influences. Him and Mike Witt really kind of kept me on the team in 86 and 87. Um, Bob taught me about pitching. He just, you know, I was a thrower back then. I threw probably, you know, today's gun, it would have probably been 96, but I was, you know, back then it was like 93, 94, 92, depending. But I was clueless about pitching, but he kind of taught me the ways. But my first big league start was, uh, or game was in Detroit in Anaheim. And they brought me in, T Mott brought me in to face Lou Whitaker. And Lou obviously had never heard of me, seen me, or what, because I, I was only about five days into the, into the roster. And, uh, so Booney walks out to the mound, and I, I just couldn't believe how bright the lights were because I came from, like, Clinton, Iowa, where I was pitching in front of 450 people like two nights before. And I go, wow, Booney, you look really close to me. I might throw it right through you. He goes, hey, I just want you to calm down, and we're just going to play a nice little friendly game of catch. So I said, all right, and I couldn't even spit. I was just – I was so nervous, and then – uh I heard Bob squats down, and Lou looks at him. I think Bob told me later, he goes, who is this guy? And Bob goes, He's name is Finley. We brought him up from A ball. Not high A. He was like low A. That was really hard. He has no clue where to go, where it's going. And I remember Lou looked at me, and he kind of tapped the bat, and he took about two steps back in the box and said, okay, let's try this. My first pitch, I think I almost took his head off. when he, like, looked at me and goes, this is going to be trouble, but – he finally got me going and kind of taught me, uh, you know, just about the the ways of how to get guys out. And, and to answer your question about how did I get to 89? Well, I think they uh, envisioned me as being a starter. And I just didn't have enough experience. So toward the end of 87, I went to winter ball both times in the winter and tried to develop a third pitch, and then it just wasn't working. I just could not get the feel of a changeup. And then Joe Coleman, who was our bullpen coach? Told me he goes instructional.ly He goes, "Hey, why don't you try this? Why don't you try splitting your fingers?" And all I want you to think about is arm speed. And I said, "Okay, that's it." And he goes, "Yeah, just try it." So I threw about five of them. And I said, "Is that it?" He goes, "That looks pretty good." He goes, "Just keep doing it." So, long story short, the split finger fastball was what really uh, made me from being a borderline middle reliever slash specialty lefty to uh, you know one of the top pitchers in my time. Uh, in the league because I just needed that third pitch and, uh, it just transformed my whole life. But, uh, it was a really, really interesting process to I me, mean, to go down to Dominican. I'm, I don't know if you played in the winter league balls, but just spending three months down in Dominican and Puerto Rico. I mean, it was, I loved those days. It was fun. I wouldn't want to go back, but I loved those days. They, they were meaningful for me.
2: You know, when you talk about your split and, and you talk to other hitters, especially I'll try to explain to the audience as good as I can, listen to the Boone podcast. Uh, Chuck was known he had a split. And what was so rare about that is a lot of righties had splits. We faced right-handers with splits all the time. So we we're used to that as hitters. We don't like dealing with the unknown Chuck Finley split finger fastball, something we don't see every day. And it kind of throws us off. We're not, we don't train for that. It, it's almost like, and I try when people ask me about how unique you were. And, and I faced you later in my career, not the same, but it's almost like Trevor Hoffman's changeup. Trevor yeah. was a right-handed; that his main out pitch was a changeup. Back when we were playing in the '90s, the early 2000s, it was very rare for a righty to throw right-on-right changeups. So when when Finn comes in, oh, that's that split. We never see that split. It was different to us. It's foreign. We don't like that as hitters. Uh, the only <laughs> other guy, the only other guy I know that had one, and and other guys had a variation you know, t- turnover, change up, it's a split. No, that's yeah. not a split. A split is a split. Jeff Facero had a split. Once yeah. again, very unique situation. When, you, when you're one of few, uh, I think you always have a little bit of advantage. And I was just interested how much you thought that played into your career, obviously, and, and your success. Obviously, from what you said, uh, a big part of it.
3: Oh, very much. I mean, I like I said, I was being totally honest. I'm not going to kid myself and think I would have struggled with two pitches. I mean, it would have been very tough for me to pitching the big leagues especially you know back in the day when I pitched guys would they would wait you out and they would work counts so the more pitches they saw of me the the worse it was for me but you know what's funny is that uh my split was kind of like I would always thought that if I was a GM I would always try to throw out of my five starters I'd try to throw a middle guy in there who had a knuckleball you know I always thought that screwed teams up for a couple of days you know I used to Watch a couple of guys, Springer, we had on our team that was a knuckleball guy. But I used to watch guys come up to the plate on that knuckleball and just get in the box, deep in the box, away from the box, get on top of the plate, scoot up. I mean, it would mess with their heads for like nine innings. And all of a sudden you throw somebody like a conventional pitcher behind him, you go, wow, it took these guys a couple of days to come out of the fog. But I know what you're saying about the fact of, of a lefty having a split, but kind of a unique situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um did you handle the knuckleball good? Not really. I mean, you know, I,
2: I I had a couple close your eyes and swing and hit a homer moments, but right. believe me when if especially if I felt good at that particular time, if my swing was on time and I I've got to fake face wakefield tomorrow. I'm thinking Oh, why is he's got to screw everything up? Cause it doesn't matter how well, how well you're swinging the knuckleball. Yeah. It, it's such a wild card. Cause you have no idea. You can do everything. Perfect. Put a perfect swing on it and miss it by a foot. That's just the nature of the knuckleball times when you're not swinging good. Maybe that's what you need, but it's funny. You, you mentioned that as a hitter, the things we try against the knuckleball. You're right. I would try everything. I'd get up in the box. And it started with me with Charlie Huff, who I, oh. who's a good friend of both of ours. And uh, I didn't have much success off Charlie. Maybe I got one hit. He was my first taste of the knuckleball. Obviously, it went on the to, to Wakefield. Springer uh, had a knuckleball. Candiotti had a knuckleball. But he was Ooh. more of a curveball pitcher. He yeah. threw more curveballs than knuckleballs. So, uh, yeah, for the most part, uh, as the season went on, I'd prefer not to face a knuckle. I always used to say, all right, we got a slow pitch softball game today. And I tried you know, I, that sometimes. I tried the the slow pitch approach. Just put the put the bat on my shoulder and
3: and roll with it. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. I told our manager Doug Rader, who was a beauty, and you know, we everybody that's in baseball knows Doug Rader and his personality. But I said, Doug, we'd be have a knuckleball guy we'd be facing that day. I go, Why don't you throw everybody that's hung over in the lineup? <laughs> <laughs> I said, that would probably work. He goes, hell, that'd be the whole team. Yeah. (laughs) We don't have enough spots.
0: (laughs) Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app.
2: It's interesting to me too. Uh, like I said, you started off in the bullpen. Different time than in the game. A lot of a lot of big league teams started off their future starters in the bullpen. You came up. It was uh, you mentioned Winter was there. Uh, Don Sutton, Candelaria was on the staff when you first came to the big leagues, and you kind of went into the bullpen, learned the ropes a little bit, became a starter to this day the the has the most wins in the history of the Angels franchise most game most innings uh that's Chuck Finley as well but you started off in the bullpen different to you know i i i compare it to on the position player side once i signed my pro contract they put me at second base and i never played another game outside of second base uh nowadays it's not like that unless you're a can't miss aussie uh, smith defensive type shortstop when you sign, you're playing a third, short second. They're kind of well rounding all the all the skilled middle infielders uh, back in my time. No, once I was a second base, I played second base. And today on the pitching side, it seems like because a lot of the finances are put into the bullpen, building power bullpens, you're groomed as a bullpen guy or you're groomed as a starter doesn't seem as much like in your day. Start off as a reliever, become a starter. Your thoughts on that?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, when I was in the bullpen, uh, my job was uh, mop up, uh, getting get your innings in when the game might be out of hand, save our starters, save our bullpen for tomorrow night when it might be a close game. But, uh, you know, they had an idea for me. I don't know if it, it ended up working out, but uh, I didn't know what it was. I was basically hanging on by a thread every day, uh, trying to keep my spot on the roster. Uh, And, you know, today's game, that middle relief job is like the most important job on the pitching staff, I think, that holds these games together. When you got the starters going, you know, four and a third, those middle relief guys when I played were the guys that weren't good enough to be starters and, and uh, barely were good enough to make the team. They were just arms and Nowadays, those guys are the most important guys that uh, I think that are on the team that can bridge that that game to get to that ninth inning guy, you know, throwing 100 miles an hour. But uh, back in our day, you know, everybody's stuff was basically about the same until you got to the ninth inning guy that would probably, you know, run it up there like a Tom Hickey or somebody in the upper 90s. But you just didn't see that coming out of the pen every day. Yeah
2: back in your day as well wasn't a big deal pitch counts weren't a big deal pitch counts are everything now and i i I don't want to get too deep into the woods on that
3: but were you ever on a pitch count once you became a starter no i they didn't even they didn't even have a clicker i mean i think latch might have laid one my pitching coach marcel latchman who taught me so much also but he Lay it down next to the dugout, next to the cooler, and come by and maybe look at it and hit it a couple times in his head. That would he get close to how many pitches he thought I had? But they would watch how the ball was coming off the bat, you know, to tell if you were starting to get tired. The ball was going from ground balls to, you know, line drive outs to guys running down the track, getting them down and catching them and throwing them in. But I promise you, uh, every start that I made that I was probably in the 140s. With a warm up, you know, I'd be one twenty five, one thirty. And then with the forty pitches in the pin warming up or thirty, wherever it was, I was coming out of there, lathered up at one forty-five a night. And I'd be honest with you, I could I threw better on my fourth day than I did my fifth day. It was just conditioned to to do it that way. I you know. Back in the day when if you didn't get past the fifth or sixth inning, if you weren't touching the seventh inning as a starter, you were pretty much gonna be sent down or lose your spot you're going to be putting the pin because most managers, I mean, Gene Mock, he wouldn't put up with it for a second. He'd tell you straight up, you're killing me. You're killing my pin by doing this. So it just trained me early to say, uh, you know what? If I don't touch the seventh inning tonight, this is not going to be good. And that's just the way it was. So that's just the way the belief was. It's like an at-bat. If you don't get the guy over, if you don't bunt him over, if you don't take second, if you don't do this, that's just what they expected. So yeah, it worked it- game's
2: changing we're moving forward all this new technology and data. a lot of it uh, i'm envious of, of a lot of it i can kind of do without i'm kind of in the middle on that quick i'll touch on this and we'll go on but interested your perspective chuck finley gets a pitch clock put on him how does that affect you on the mount
3: i work fast anyway because my infielders always told me you know you want to keep us on our toes and make good plays work fast and I didn't dance around the mound. i get it and get ready to go back up and go, back up and go. But uh, I would love it. I love what that has done for the game. The rest of the stuff, I'm still having trouble wrapping my my arms around. But that pitch block is really going to help the game. It's going to help the fans, helps the flow of the game. So I I really like that. But I had no problem. I was probably a 12-second guy in between pitches if I was sitting there trying to do it in my head, uh, I know the hitters are kind of getting frustrated because, you know, you guys are all rhythm and timing. So it might disrupt you a little bit, but I think once they get it going, I think everybody's going to fall into place on it.
2: No, I agree with you. And the the managers I've talked to so far, they love it. You know, I was over in Seattle, uh, Seattle's spring training site and I did a couple innings in the booth and I was supposed to, I was scheduled to do two innings and I did four just because how quick the innings were moving along. It was kind of surreal for me. I think there's going to be some tweaks that have to be made, but I think it's going to be a wait-and-see type thing. I, I think the one thing from a fan's perspective that they don't want to see, yeah, the quicker games, the swiftness, maybe as a result of this, there's going to be more balls put in play, which has been a problem in recent years. But I don't think fans on either side, depending on whether it's your team or it's not your team, they don't want to see
3: a game ended by a pitch clock violation. Right, right. I think that's that's kind of bad. I mean, I don't know the way football does with the two minutes left in the game, they review every play so it doesn't end on a bad note. But that would be a shame to go out there and have the draw. Imagine last night game with Trout and Otani coming up; they had to the pitch right. clock yeah, and that them. way, yeah. Yeah, they'd be dancing, they'd be freaking uh, flipping cars over in the streets today. But, uh, (laughs) but uh, I think they've kind of made some good adjustments to the game because it was, I mean, those four hour games, three hours and 40. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a marathon. And people that come to watch a game, I kind of, that disrupts the flow of what's going on. So this is going to speed it up and kind of give a little bit more of a rhythm to it. You came in with Gene Mock. uh...
2: And Gene Autry, the cowboy, was, was the owner of the Angels <laughs> when you were young, I mean, through your later days. And it was really interesting. You came in, like I said, I was a kid hanging along, hanging around with dad, coming to the ballpark, tagging along. But you played, you came in with the Reggie Jacksons and the Don Suttons of the world, the Bobby Gritch. You mentioned Mike Witt, one of the great Angel starters. Uh And when you left, it was kind of that new era of, of Timmy Salmon and Jim Edmonds and Garrett Anderson, gloss Darren erstad the team that went on in 2002 and ended up winning a world series by that time it's 2002. We played, or uh, I'm sorry, 2001. We played against each other in the playoffs, 2002, you finish your career uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals. And then that year is the year. The angels kind of came out of nowhere, ended up winning the world series. All those years you played with the angels to see that group you had left uh, when you moved on to Cleveland and eventually the St. Louis Cardinals, how was that watching it as pretty much a career angel? And all of a sudden, 2002, when you leave, they finally win their first world series. Was that kind of an odd thing for you
3: or, or, or yeah. what was it like? It, well, I was, you know, all my good buddies that I spent a lot of time with and kind of came up with uh, Garrett and fish and Erste and D Sarcena, you know, all these guys, Wally, all these guys came through the system. So, we all had mutual friends with our coaches, staff that came up with this. I mean, we had a really good tight family. But, you know, the funny thing was is that when I got traded over, when I was in Cleveland and they were dumping payroll and we weren't that good, uh, the GM over there uh, said, you know, I'm going to try to get you on a team that's got a pretty good lead so we can get you in the playoffs. And he said, well, you got a choice. I got San Francisco here and I got St. Louis. And I said, well, who do you think has a better chance? Of-? He said, well, I think St. Louis is going to – win that division uh uh, san francisco i don't know but so anyway he traded me to st louis and lo and behold you know we going up against the giants and uh the team that we were going to play if we would beat the giants would have been the angels in the uh world series i thought wow this would be really crazy if i came back with the giant with with the uh, cardinals and faced anaheim in anaheim stadium against all my boys but uh, i was really happy for them i mean I wanted Gene to win that World Series so bad because that guy was just a, a wonderful, wonderful owner. And, uh, you know, Gene didn't have any kids, but when I came on the team, he kind of took me as like a adopted son. I, I did a lot of stuff with Gene. So I really, really wanted the organization to to do that and win that. But uh, they had a great group of guys. I mean, those guys were together for a long time. Washburn, all those guys, Molina, they were all really good. But it was very weird for me to see that. And, and you know, what's funny is that when – um. We got knocked out by the uh the Giants. You know, Jackie had called me and said, you know, why don't you uh, come catch the first I'm gonna throw out the first pitch. Why don't you come catch it? And I go, I don't know about that. I just got through pitching five days ago. But I ended up at Anaheim Stadium and caught one of the first pitches from her. And it kind of brought me back into the organization. And then I you know, I've been with them ever since. Two
2: thousand nine, you get the phone call. You're going into the Angels Hall of Fame. How was that call for you? I mean, obviously, well deserved. Probably, uh, with your resume and what you did uh, playing for the Angels, you, you were kind of a, a no-brainer. But until you get that phone call and it, it becomes official, how
3: special was that for you? Oh, it was amazing. Uh, you know, I I would been been with John Carpino, our president, and Dennis Kuhl, our chairman, and Artie and I friends. So John called me one day and he had all three of them on the speaker call and he said, "Hey, what are you doing?" I said not much. He said, uh, well, you got a second. I said, sure. He goes, uh, what would you think if, uh, we elected you to the angels hall of fame? And it kind of went quiet. I was like, what does that mean? And I kind of thought about it for a second. And I said, wait a second. Oh, is this what you're saying? He goes, yeah. And I thought that was a really cool thing for them to do that. Um, uh, you know, they didn't have to do that. It's obviously their pick and, and their choice, but, uh, it meant a lot to me. I had to go there with my kids and, and, and do that, that night and. Uh, it's it's been wonderful ever since. I mean just to be announced somewhere as an Angel Hall of Famer is, you know, how many guys come through a system from the inception of the team in 62 to now. That's a lot of players so to get picked out of that group and uh, you know, when you go to the stadium it's there it's, it's really cool. Really cool idea. I, aren't you in the Mariners?
2: I'm not in the Mariners. Rubbing it in. Are you Finn? Maybe one day. Nope. I'm kidding. Well, I was holding that up. I'm kidding. Another thing back in the day, obviously the AL West looks a little bit different than it did in 1986. And I thought there's a little fun thing we do uh, near the end of the podcast was AL West. When you come up was correct me if I'm wrong. Now was a white Sox, Mariners, twins, A's Royals. Does yep. That make sense. I want to do a little yep. rapid fire with you about guys from that generation for the late eighties through the nineties. And, and I just want to get your, what comes to your mind
3: when I, when I say a name, Ricky, uh, Hend- Ricky Henderson. Oh, uh, pain in the ass. He was Ricky was the leadoff hitter for Oakland, get on base, do all that stepping, stutting, and dancing over there and take off. Next, you know, he's at second. So yeah, he was a pain in the ass. Great player though. I played with Ricky when he came to the angels and what a wonderful guy.
2: I'm going to stay with the A's and we're going to go uh, combo. The bash brothers,
3: obviously can and McGuire. I'm gonna two yeah. for one there. two for one is don't don't walk anybody ahead of him don't walk Steinbach or Lansford ahead of him because you know um Kinseko was a big mistake hitter. I mean you make good pitches on him he's out Mac was a little more disciplined but uh yeah they they didn't hit many pop-ups at any of this track. go to the White Sox big hurt Frank Thomas. Big <laughs> Hurt. Yeah, I well, used to love pitching inside Big Hurt, six foot five, 270 pounds, and listen to him squeal. <laughs> he was too. I uh, like uh, to be inside. He didn't, did he? I mean, uh, he could hit, but man, he would whine on that inside pitch. Uh, uh, and we like to take off at first base and watch Frank try to field a ball and throw it to second. It was hilarious, like a dead duck's wing. He, I, I couldn't believe a man couldn't throw a ball to second base. <laughs> Go with the
2: Mariners, and oh, I'm going to go with a, with a lefty on a lefty. Let's go with the kid,
3: Jr. Griff. Yeah. yeah Griff. That man was a tough out. I mean, I don't know. Griff, he was one of those guys that would pull you down the line, and then next at bat, shoot you in the gap. Next thing you know, he blows down a bunt and beats it out. I mean, he was like a Kirby pucket. You know, I know you probably wouldn't use Kirby, but he was just a Gifted athlete, man. Just a great baseball player. He was about one second ahead of the game, I thought. He was amazing at jumps he got, you know, on, on balls in the gaps. I mean, jumping into the fence out there, sticking himself on the wall, catching balls, great arm, just total talent. 5-2 a player. Paul Molitor, an interesting
1: one
2: oh. for me. As a right-handed hitter, me coming up, one of my favorite guys to
3: watch. Just love watching yep. Paul Molitor hit. Yep. I used to tell Pauly every year right before the game season was started. If I wasn't pitching in the first day, but he always expected, I'd find him at BP. And I said, Pauly, this is the year. This is the year. He said, No, it's not, Finn. No, it's not. I said, This is the year. I said, This is the year I'm gonna pitch one inside. I'm gonna break your bat. I could never break his bat. All I want to do was jam him and snap his bat, because he was so quick inside. I said, this is the year. And I think I finally got him one time. And I think he had the flu or something. He shouldn't even been in the lineup. But uh, <laughs> I've never seen bat speed like that. That was pretty impressive. Last but not least, uh, the great George Brett. Oh, Brett. Yeah, he was a beauty. I loved playing against that guy. He was a gamer. He'd go up there with the, you know, no, no batting gloves, spit, tobacco spit on his hands, get in there and just grind it out. Go to third base. Wanted to play every day. And, and you can tell you can tell guys that love to play and love the game. He just had fun with it. And the guys that gooby and those guys and saves that we talked to about Brett, I mean, everything he did in life was a hundred percent. He emptied the tank every day. Very cool. This I found about my buddy, Chuck Finley
2: did a little research burn notice. What do you know about the burn notice? <laughs> and, Cause this is, this is, it's kind of a wild thing. Actor is it. Sam Axe is the character it's played by Bruce Campbell uh, and everywhere he goes, his alias is Chuck Finley or a version of Chuck Finley, Charlie Finley, whatever he may do. Give me the backstory to that. If there is a
3: backstory, I have no idea where that came from. Somebody asked me if I knew these guys and I said, no. And he said, well, you know, they're using your name uh, on the TV show. It's a very popular show on TNT or something. I said, so I watched it one time, and I said, I have no idea where this came from. I was maybe expecting a call from the producer saying, hey, would you like to come do a scene yeah, on that show? that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Sitting at the bar, and some guy walks up and orders a drink and leaves his name. I go, no, I'm Chuck Dunny. But that never happened. But then I read up on it a little bit, and he said that his dad or or something used to bet on me or something in baseball when he was uh, alive. And I said, oh, I, I never put two and two together with that one. But he never gave you a call or anything. You didn't know the actor did not did not i thought maybe the producer or the director would call me and go why don't we get you on the show just for you know shits and giggles and i said well if he did i would have done it in a heartbeat but uh, i had nothing to do with the show
2: never happened last but not least recently you went over to to uh our our buddy phil nevins taking over as skipper of the angels and uh you know i talked to him this off season and, and he said he really wanted to get the alumni involved. I think it's so important around baseball. You see the teams like the Yankees, the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. They do a great job with bringing the great players of past and mixing them in with the modern day version. I think, I think it's great for an organization. You know, I always think that, you, t- you go with grandpa, dad and and son and go to a big league game and you see three different generations of players standing on the field where grandpa's got a story about so and so. You know, I think that's really good for the game. I think that's what brings us together. Phil said he was going to do a job. Uh, he wanted to bring a bunch of the alumni in. You got a chance to go over there. Uh, I talked to my dad He went over there for four or five days, said he had a great time. What was your experience? Uh, do you agree? Do you think it's great for, for the, uh, the history of the game uh, to bring guys back?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, already started this years ago. Uh, he wanted to involve the alumni around the stadium in Anaheim and and out into the, the functions of the city and the community. So he started bringing guys around during the game time, just to associate with the fans and stuff. But, uh, Uh, I used to go to spring training every year with Sochi and all the guys, so I was pretty much a regular, but Phil and I had dinner uh, with our good friend, mine and yours, Joe Martelli, uh, one night, and uh, he said, Finn, you know, I'd like to bring a bunch of guys into spring training, the old guys. He said, can you help me put together a list of guys you think? And so we started popping off names, and, you know, by the end of the night, we had 30 guys. He goes, well, it's only six weeks, man. I only bring in so many, but he was so into it because I think it'd be great for the older guys to come in and just not even if they don't even do anything, just walk around and talk to the guys and just let the guys see them just to show them, you know, what these guys did and, and what want them to be a part of our organization. But uh, when I went there, I had a great time. I always have a great time. Phil is the perfect guy for that job uh, with him and Perry. you know, They're old school guys, but they're both smart enough to pick up the new technology of the game and kind of blend it in with their old school mentality. But I just think Bill's going to do a wonderful job with him. He, you know, he kind of got handed a team that was kind of beat up and broke down last year. But I think out of the gate, he's going to have a great opportunity to do some good things. And I I firmly believe they're going to be in the playoffs. I got to believe that. They don't uh, use that, um, you know, injury reserve list. here. I think they got a really good team.
2: They really do it's offensive side. They're right up there with the best in the game. The only one I'm, I was thinking about great offenses in the game this year. I mean, you get a healthy Rondon, Rendon, Otani and Trout. That's pretty formidable. The only one I can think of that are maybe a little more formidable is that San Diego Padre team. They're they're pretty they're pretty stacked from the lineup yeah. standpoint. Chuck Friendly, I appreciate you coming on the show. Two hundred wins in your career, obviously a great career. Five time All Star. He uh, played seventeen years. Uh, good friend of mine. Uh, we got to play some golf soon. We haven't done it in a long time, but I appreciate you coming on the podcast.